Welcome to this the latest edition of the NPM podcast. This is John Burke, Managing Editor of NPM. Joining me today is Frank Getman, President and CEO of Great Bay Renewables, a renewable royalty financing company. Frank, welcome to the program. Thank you, John. I'm excited to be here. I, I have to say, I've been so impressed in the last uh, couple of years watching the success of NPM with the uh, I remember when Brett was pounding me to join up with NPM, and I was like, "Why do I need another news agency?" And and sure enough, you guys have uh, have crushed it in the last couple of years and really differentiated yourself. You know, you're part of my morning routine. Uh, good to hear, Frank, and thanks for that. So, for those who don't know Frank's company, um, they've deployed about 300 million, roughly, equally between development and operating projects. Um, through over 15 gigawatts of wind, solar, solar plus storage and standalone storage projects in our in their sorry development portfolio. Frank is here to discuss the capital markets environment for renewable energy as we head towards the final third, hard to believe, of 2023. So with that in mind, Frank, why don't you tell us about some of your observations about the marketplace uh, as far as um, capital uh, invested in uh, renewable energy and what's to come in the final third? Sure. Um, as you noted, we, we've uh, invested across the whole life cycle of uh, renewables projects from development all the way through to operating and even repowering. And uh, I think we have a unique seat to, to look at what's going on. And, and kind of what we're seeing is, is what I'm calling a, a tale of two cities, where on one hand, there's these massive tailwinds from the IRA, there's robust activity, new entrants entering the market. There's this huge backlog of projects. There's ongoing strong demand from uh, for PPAs from uh, from the Microsofts and Googles of the world. But then on the other hand, you have these interconnection backlogs and you know RTOs, moratoriums, and delays on processing and approving interconnection applications. There's been a huge increase in the size of inter interconnection deposits, and you know. Everything everywhere is being delayed. Literally, almost every facet on every project is being pushed to the right. And on top of that, we have increase in interest rates and, and the higher cost of both debt and equity capital. And I think this kind of push-pull dynamic has created uh, an incredibly dynamic and fluid environment. And I think much of the first half of 2023 was the market digesting all of these pushes and pulls and sorting itself out, trying to determine the new normal and the new market clearing price for projects, development projects, platforms, and, and even what the new market clearing price for the cost of capital is. Um, I'm seeing some signs that the market has absorbed all of this and, and I expect to see a flurry of activity for the remainder of 2023 and including a flurry, a flurry of royalty financings for Great Bay. Thanks for that. So. You pointed out to the challenges that are all there today, and um, it's kind of resulted in, um, you know, a couple of different types of um, lending schemes out there, I guess is the right word. Um, you have Great Bay with its royalties lending, you have uh, private credit, you have pre-development lenders, you have banks even willing to uh, step downstream um, and provide a hold co facilities. Um, so there's been a, a great variety uh, out there um, in this uh, current uh, cycle. Um, so in your view, how are uh, pre-development capital providers really separating themselves here? Yeah, 
ho- hopefully we're not schemes, but the, <laughs> but the, uh, I, 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 the term is like more accepted in Europe, Frank. I remembered it. I was just about to say it. I was like, well, wait a second. It might like come across as bad, but we'll just go with variety of lenders. I'll okay. There you go. That. Perfect. But thanks well, for calling yeah. me on that. <laughs> um, I think when you look at the at investment at the development stage, I think the differentiation uh, is more based on structure than cost of capital, because everyone seems to be around the same cost of capital at, at the development stage. Um, but folks have chosen chosen different strategies and structures for deploying that capital. You know, you have equity, uh, obviously, you know, that that's, you know, but, but people are protecting their equity more because we've seen in the last several years that maybe that, uh, you know, development, company equity has more value than folks thought where they used to think the value was in selling the projects. Maybe it's going to be in selling the equity. So they're more protective of that. And um, then you've talked, mentioned the, the development loans. I think those are generally, they'll come in and look at a, a, a ring fence, certain projects and put tighter controls. And then we've approached it just a little bit differently. And that uh, with our royalty financing is that we try to be very flexible and, um, and, and, as far as we don't come in with try to ring fence specific projects and say, we think those projects are better than this one. We'll support those, but not these. We look at it on a whole portfolio approach and we kind of, our, our key thing is to choose good teams and give them the capital they need and then kind of get out of their way and just make sure that there's a good alignment. And, uh, you know, so, sometimes I think loans or anything with a defined term or, or payment schedule or anything like that is really tough at the development stage, particularly when we're seeing all these delays and things. So I think you have to have your capital somehow has to be flexible enough to incorporate the inevitable changes and delays that happen at the development stage without necessarily having you to restructure your financing. So that's how we've approached it. And I think it's like, like I said, I don't know that it's, I don't think we're winning deals necessarily because our capital's cheaper, but I think it's more that our structure, you know, certain developers are finding it more attractive than maybe some other sources of capital. Well, we talk about Great Bay's approach here, and I guess um, you raised kind of an interesting point about why, I guess here's your opportunity to really explain why people do come to Great Bay. You know, what what yeah. are they looking for? How are they looking to deploy the capital? A nice, uh, approach um, approach is warranted here so um yeah go ahead. sure so so at the development stage our capital is very flexible and it's it's also non-dilutive right so we come in and we say okay here's 40 million dollars to develop these projects over the next three years we look at we like your team we like your portfolio and you know we're willing to make a bet on you and your team but we then don't allocate it and try to tell them which projects they need to spend it on. We will we will phase it in. We don't just, we tranche it in. We don't just give them a right to check for 40 million up front. We're based on certain success metrics, you know, that they come up with, we'll then fund their business over time. And as long as they do what they say they're gonna do and hit the milestones they say they're gonna hit, we'll continue to fund, you know, in many cases, 100% of their development expenses. Um, and then the, 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 the trick here is we don't try to match the dollars and where they invest them with the royalties that we get out of their portfolio. Whatever comes out of that portfolio will have our royalty attached to it. And it goes on for the life of the project. They never write us a check. We get paid from the revenue from the project over the life of the project. So it's very different than saying, oh, I borrow $20 million from a development lender and then I have to pay them back from the proceeds of the sale of those projects. We're not dipping into the same 
source of uh, funds that the developer's trying to get paid from. We actually get paid from the revenue of the projects. So I think it's a way, I think the flexibility is, is, a, is a big advantage. I think that, um, you know, that it's non-dilutive is a huge advantage. And then lastly, I, I think that the, the ability to allocate it and shift around, like, you know, we've had projects where we went in, we thought, oh my gosh, these projects in SPP are going to be the first ones through the pipeline. Well, SPP then put a moratorium on and they had to reallocate people, dollars, everything on a dime to a whole different suite of projects. And that was completely acceptable and fine. They didn't need our consent to be able to do that. That's what we hoped they would do, run your business. So that's why it gets back to our, our underwriting is really choosing good teams and good projects. Uh, one nuance you guys have done recently was provide royalty financing into operating projects, mm -hmm. uh, such as your recent deal with Long Road Energy. Um, yeah. How is that going and what types of opportunities do you see on that front? Yeah, I think it, it's... Um, uh, it's that that that's becoming an ever growing part of our business. And what's really happened is, uh, you know, if, if a project has a twenty year bus bar PPA, you know, they're going to maximize the debt. They probably don't need our capital. But if there's any kind of merchant exposure, if there's anything unique about the project which uh, would cause them to have to write a larger project equity check, that's a great opportunity for us. Or in the case with Longwood, we help them in financing and acquisition. So we came in along alongside them right at closing of the acquisition to help fund the equity required for that, um, you know, for that acquisition. And again, we're not equity, so they still maintain 100% control. And we just are a, a top line revenue royalty that gets paid. And we take real operating risk. I think that's another thing that differentiates us from, uh, you know, a, a, a loan facility or a bank is that if there's a problem operationally and the project doesn't generate as much revenue, for whatever reason, as, as people were hoping, we suffer alongside with the sponsor. But if there's upside, if we have hot days like we've been having in, in ERCON, and there's a little more revenue, well, we're gonna participate in that alongside them. Um, so we try to get the alignment up front, and then we're passive in nature. Um, debt is never aligned. <laughs> I mean, they, they you know, and debt provides a very important function. It helps, you know, juice returns and so forth, but there's no alignment between debt and equity. So um, we've talked a I little bit. I guess if I could also just add, to, add oh, a little bit there ahead. too, that, that we're also seeing many different use cases into operating projects. For example, um, our capital has been used to unwind hedges. You know, maybe there was some hedges that had shape risk that, you know, either blew up in Storm Uri or the people said it has shape risk. It, it's a ticking time bomb. We want to get rid of it. And so they're using our capital to help unwind those. So rather than writing their own project equity check to unwind the hedge, uh, their own equity check, they're using our capital, or they can be partial or full on lines. Um, you know, so, so anywhere where they're having to write uh, an equity, if there's upgrades they want to do, our capital is really well suited for that. You know, and now we're actually looking at, you know, maybe using our capital for repowerings or consolidating, uh, you know, post flip, using our capital, having the sponsor use our capital to consolidate the repurchase, the consolidation of ownership, and buy back that small tax equity tail that you know, is in every single project in the country, that at some point they're all gonna be there and, and the tax equity doesn't wanna be there. It's a natural opportunity to consolidate that, but you know, 
if you put more debt on it to do it, you have to increase your default risk. If you have to write an equity check, well, you got to use that capital there versus growing in another project. So our capital is really well suited for that. It allows them to consolidate that ownership. So we're finding many more use cases, I think, for our for our capital than maybe we you know thought of or understood when we started the company. Interesting. Um, so your attachment to the developer early on gives you a lot of insights into like the life cycle of the project. One would think we, we, we already discussed about how you're getting revenues once it's a revenue generating project and, um, you're getting from point a, the developer to the ownership and O and M of the project, the, uh, amount of owners or equity that could be involved in the project could change quite a bit. Um, you know, just depending on where the developer is, um, what they're choosing to sell potentially, mm -hmm. um, or know, not sell. That's a yeah, sell, to, sell or not so, to sell. So, you know, the macro environment's gotten the macro environment's gotten interesting, Frank. I mean, it's there. There was there was a thesis going into the back half of twenty one about ownership that just seemed to get a little bit different than it, than it is today i think um as the world got more expensive and you know we we began to see some owners that saw their capital markets transaction that wanted to be owners that were also selling projects you know and then um there were others that had aspirations of owning one day and becoming an ipp but you know sort of you know proceeded to you know sell projects and do asset recycling again rather than ownership um and so I think, you know, when talking to the market, they talk to us a lot about how asset sales are probably a lot more healthier than platform sales right now, almost as a result, mm -hmm. because there's more uh, variety out there and there's still a lot of uh, capital chasing uh, equity positions in these projects and willing to take a little bit of development risk as well. Um, but my question circling back to you, I think is one I don't think I've heard the answer to, uh, to be honest, is that. You know, if you're in a royalty financing agreement at the beginning and there's uh, royalties that get paid out once the project goes operational, how does the, that affect an actual sales process for a project? Mm -hmm. How might it small. it? Yeah. No, we hopefully, and, and, and we've had a number of projects be sold to, you know, Nextera and some of the largest pro, you know, buyers in the, in the market. We purposely keep it small. It's, you know, one to 3%. It looks like a land royalty. It looks like a land lease payment. So we, we don't want to be so large that we would affect affect the other underlying you know saleability of the project and to be to be honest when we did our initial deals with triglobal and apex and and some of the early developer deals we did that was a real concern that they rightly it was a it was a legitimate you know concern so we provided you know some ability that if the if the buyer didn't want it we would deal with it and have it taken out you know in mechanisms to do it but it ended up not it ended up being a no nothing because they're just going to value it based upon the cash flow that's available to them We'll look at it just like another operating expense, and then they'll they'll pay the developer based upon what's available to them. Um, but I think that you your assessment is really uh, I think is really accurate that the market has changed so much. Where initially it was everyone was a develop and flip developer, and then they went, oh no, we're just selling platforms. You know, when you saw a few of those transactions, and then they said, oh, we're going to be IPPs. You know, we're going to we're going to own these things because now I got a big capital provider behind me and these developers, I'm going to keep them from my own balance sheet and create that recurring revenue versus the lumpy revenue because maybe I'm going to go public or whatever it might be. Well, I think what we're seeing now is a, is a reset again, 
where it's, and what we're, yeah, what I would call it is selective IPPs, where they're looking at their, if they have a really project that they really like, and they say, this one makes a lot of sense, I really want to hold on to this one. They're coming to us and saying, okay, yes, you gave us your development capital to develop it, but I need a project equity check. And, and a lot of these companies aren't, you know, big utilities and, 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 you know, don't have huge balance sheets. So they need other sources of capital. Um, but just bringing in an, another equity investor, then it kind of defeats the purpose of them owning the, the project. So be, our non-dilutive nature is ideally situated for developers who have a project that they want to take further. And in fact, the other big issue that you didn't mention is interconnection deposits. What's happening in the market is that these interconnection deposits have gotten so large and, and so onerous that developers who used to be able to make them and move the projects along are faced with the decision of having to sell early because I can't come up with the capital to do that. Well, if you can't come up with the capital to advance it through that period you know, with the interconnection deposits, you're gonna end up with a much more limited uh, universe of buyers. And you're gonna end up with like, you know, just a handful of really big balance sheet buyers buying all the projects earlier and getting really good deals. And that's not what the developers want either. So it's an interesting dynamic. So one of the things we're focused on right now, John, is coming up with a solution for the interconnection deposit issue using our structure, because we're incredibly flexible and we have a really creative team. And I think we're working on something and hopefully we'll get something across the finish line here that if we can figure that out, that's gonna be a huge issue. It, it's a huge issue, it's gonna be a huge opportunity because you know you have the refundability issue of like, well, if it's fully refundable, well, then there's one appropriate cost of capital. If it's not fully refundable, well, that's, that looks a lot like equity. So then how do you bridge that gap? You know, well, someone who maybe is running with a project might have some tools or some flexibility to be able to help bridge that gap from, you know, uh, not, uh, refundable, fully refundable to partially refundable to non-refundable as the project moves forward. If we're looking at getting paid from a royalty stream from the project down the line, then we might have some, you know, maybe so hopefully some solutions to that because we're spending a lot of time trying to look at that because I think that's maybe the largest issue or one of the largest issues in the industry right now is how are developers going to fund these, these massive deposits? So um, just jumping topic for a second here. Um, obviously the IRA has continued to unlock investment in different verticals away from solar and wind and, and storage. And, um, you know, I, I bring up to you the areas of, of RNG and uh, carbon capture sequestration and, and hydrogen, just because they get mentioned a lot. I'm not taking mm -hmm. away from the other uh, derivatives that are out there. Um, there are other industries that are, are addressed through the, the bill. Um, but from your perspective um, and, you know, well understanding there's different economics here at play in in each of those three verticals, uh, different commercial uses and uh, a cost of capital, which probably sets back the solar industry by another, uh, what, 10 years at this point. Um, it, are these areas that you guys are looking at currently for future business opportunities? Yeah, it, it's, it's a good question. So we're looking at them, but we're, we're trying to stay disciplined because it's easy to get seduced by the shiny object, right? The new shiny thing. Um, but I think the way we look at it is that we're not venture capital and, and we are really deployment capital. We are there to help when a proven technology is going to expand and get deployed. And there's a clear 
we have clear visibility into the long-term revenue streams. If you think about it, we're- Can, we're, I, can I stop so, you? Can I stop you for one yeah. second on that point? Sure. Do you believe RNG is in that category right now? No, I don't. Okay. I don't think there's long-term visibility. You have some of the, you have some of the uh, uh, RA contracts and things. You have some of the, the, long, the longer term, but it's not enough of the revenue for me, for me personally, as a royalty, revenue royalty investor, how do I um, get any comfort about like, you know, we're getting over the, you know, the long-term nature of these projects, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, you know, it's a, we, we had the sim, similar issue with storage. If, it, if it's a toll, then I can get my head around it. It makes sense. But if it's an arbitrage and someone comes to me and say, look, this is an awesome project. I'm going to make a bomb of money in the next three years. I'm going to make 5X my money. That's great. But you're not going to pay that to me as a royalty financing. You're, you know, so, so I then take all the risk after three years. And my view on arbitrage opportunities is markets work. And yes, someone's going to exploit that. But it's going to be for a period, a brief period, I believe, of time. And yes, people can make a lot of money, but not someone who's looking to, you know, investment is going to last 10, 20, 30 years. I think that's way too you know, opaque out there. So I, we're, look, we're watching these and, and hydrogen is another one. I, I, I struggle with what's the long-term revenue model. You know, just tell me what are you selling to whom and what are they going to pay you for it? Once that gets sorted out, and I think it will eventually, then yes, we're going to have at it. But until it does, it, it, but there's other pools of capital that are looking at this and investing. They're going to make, they probably make a bomb of money because the ones that work will probably make, you know, they'll have the next, you know, Google analogy in, in the, in the uh, renewables world to be the next, whoever does whatever the next technology is. Well, that's great. They're going to make 10, 20, hundred times their money. That's not what we're doing. You know, we're, we're, we're 10, 12%. Like we're like, we're, we're not looking to, to make those kind of returns. So we can't see how we can really get, our arms around the risks at those earlier stages. So I'm not against them by any means. I, I, we need it. We need all of the above, but I think they're too early stage for us. But when they get to the point where it's, there's need capital to deploy it and there's clear visibility as to what the revenue streams are within well, a revenue royalty makes all, all the sense in the world. Terrific. So <clears throat> just to close it out, um, you know, in, in talking about the, the macro environment, um, you know, where do you see, um, you know, financing coming out? And, and again, as we go into the, the the bottom third of the year here, the final third, yeah. you know, is it? I, I think we're good. Sorry. Go is, no, go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to hear, hear your thoughts there. Yeah, no, I think, I think as I, as I mentioned earlier, I think it took the first part of the half of the year to sort through kind of all these pushes and pulls and, and new the new environment, the new normal. And I think the market is starting to find this new clearing price. And, and I think sellers have gotten a little more, okay, well, maybe it's not quite as frothy. Cost of capital is higher. Developers are understanding everything's getting delayed. Everything is more expensive. Buyers of power, PPA, you know, one of the interesting dynamics I think in the market is you have $2.60 gas. And therefore, in many cases, unless you get a really high peak day, power prices kind of stink right now in the merchant market. Yet you have... PPA prices, go look at the most recent, you know, uh, uh, level 10, uh, you know, PPA report, you know, prices are still going up 25% year on year for PPA. So there's still a huge underlying demand for renewable energy, but you have this disconnect with short-term prices, you know, so it's an interesting dynamic. And I think what you really need is you need 
great vein, renewable, you know, royalty financing. You need, you know, private equity. You need debt. You need like you're going to. We need more pools of creative capital coming to the table, and we're one piece of it. And hopefully, it'll be continue to be. You know, that three hundred million will be a billion dollars in a couple of years that we've deployed. So I think we need more pools of creative capital. But I think I, what I really like that's starting to happen is when we launched this company, one of the opportunities we saw was that the we had been taking the same, you know, equity, project equity, debt, tax equity, and we just kept bastardizing offtake structures and coming up with financial engineered hedges and things to meet the needs of those investors. I think as the market matures, what we're doing instead is saying, why don't we find investors who are willing to take those other risks and, and, and be compensated for them instead of bastardizing structures and, and projects to try to fit the needs of the existing people around the table. So I still think those people around the table, but we're looking at different pieces of it. Like we're willing to take a very different set of risks than debt, but we have to take those risks. Too many times investors say, oh yeah, we, we do this, this, and then they get into the agreements and they say, we'll take this risk, but they really try to structure around it and put in hooks and barbs. So they really don't take that risk after they said they were going to take that risk. Like we take operating risk, we take merchant risk, you know, and I can sit here and show you our, our contracts and agreements. I can show you how it's worked in our favor and how it's worked against us so far, you know, in certain cases. So uh, I just think that's what's exciting to me is that as the market matures, I think people are starting to look at the capital needed and the risks associated with them and allocate it more appropriately, which is going to bring a better overall lower cost of capital to the sponsors and better returns for them to be able to slice and dice it and, and, and bring the, the right risks and the right investment opportunities to the right investors. Does that make sense? Uh, it certainly does. Uh, well said, Frank. Well, this is about all the time we have for today's program. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us today, Frank. And, Thank you uh, so much. Please, uh, please listen to next time. Uh, Burke out. <laughs>